Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Subrat Mishra. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Real quick, go check out our events tab on Top End Devs. We've got some workshops coming up to help you with your careers. This week, we're talking to Eric Simons. Eric, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing all right. I think most people know you from uh, Stack Blitz, as far as like the in-browser editor thingy. <laughs> it's a handy tool. I just don't know what to call it. <laughs> we struggle with that too on our product yeah. marketing side. Like, how do you describe this? But I think that's a good, good, good description. An instant yeah. IDE browser thing. Yeah, well, it's real handy when you're doing some kind of uh, example in the browser and you want to help people, hey, go try this out, right? Without them having to go NPM install all the things. Or in my case, it's brew install NPM and then NPM install yarn and then yarn install all the things. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, For me, it is, it is pretty useful when you want to like check two branches of a uh, GitHub and it's pretty pretty quick and you don't need to check in like commit your code you just check the branch what's there and just uh-huh. that's where the, at the most of the time used for that yep hey folks this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs if you're interested you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So anyway, we talked to you on JavaScript Jabber, and I think we talked about this node in the browser, and I'm not sure what to call that either. I know you had a term for it, but I can't remember what it was. But yeah, it was super yeah. cool. And <laughs> we're talking about, okay, this has implications beyond just, hey, you know, I, I was doing back end and now I can do back end in the front end. And so, yeah, let, let's just dive in. Why don't you go ahead and give us some background as far as like what this is and where it came from. And then we can kind of go from there into, okay, now what do we do with this, this thing if our focus is primarily front end? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so I, I imagine, I think in the Angular community, most people are probably familiar with Stackblitz, but if you're not, mm-hmm. you probably use Stackblitz without realizing it. If you've ever gone to uh, the Angular.io docs and like clicked run live example on any of the code that they have there, all that stuff pops you over to stackblitz.com and instantly boots, you know, the Angular uh, application running the browser. You can tweak it. You can kind of think of it like, like uh, code plan plus plus on steroids sort of thing, right? And Back a couple of years ago, so we started Stackblitz back in 2017. This is right when Angular 2, uh, the, the transition from Angular mm-hmm. to Angular 2 was happening. And uh, so that was like, what, you know, five years ago or something like that now? Something like and, that. And 
So now, uh, you know, two years ago, you know, we kind of saw this transition happening in the web world where a lot of things are moving to really be based on Node.js CLI tooling that is not just, hey, I'm going to build a static site, but I also need to do server-side rendering, right? Like things like Angular Universal, etc. Right. And, you know, the way that Stackwoods had worked to date at that point, like the original version of Stackwoods was really, it was it was only meant to do, like we effectively we ported a, a small portion of Webpack and NPM to run inside your browser, right? And it was like kind mm-hmm. of custom hard-coded. So we weren't running like the actual Angular CLI. We weren't like, we, there's no like container that this stuff was running on. It was running entirely in your browser, which made it really fast, right? Like it was super right. fast. It, it, that's been the number one feature of Stackwoods. It's just, you you know, open a link within milliseconds of its booting. So a couple of years ago, we had the, the realization that, you know, we had learned a lot about, you know, how to make stuff run in browsers and new capabilities were landing on the web, like service workers, WebAssembly, et cetera. And we realized that uh, it seemed like it was theoretically possible, at least, to create a new type of like micro operating system written in WebAssembly that could boot in a couple hundred milliseconds inside your browser tab and run Node.js entirely on top of that. And we could get the entire payload size of that operating system and Node.js to maybe a couple of megabytes, right? So we're talking like booting Node.js in an operating system in a browser tab within a couple hundred milliseconds of, of landing on the page, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this was a pretty, you know, and so the benefits, right, if you could actually do this is that you can run any CLI. You could just right. Angular, install the Angular CLI and go ng run or ng serve, you know, uh, run schematics, et cetera. Mm-hmm even run other CLIs from NPM um, entirely inside your browser. And uh, you can even do server-side rendering sort of projects in an instant, fast way we can share it. So it really kind of you know blows off the lid of what you can do with a tool like Stackwoods because now you're talking about this isn't a playground. This is actually a full-on dev environment that's actually like substantially faster than your local machine and uh, can be used for real production-grade workflows, right? Right. So that's kind of the idea. So a couple of years later, we launched it back last May, and it's uh, kind of taken off like wildfire. And you know, so, so now we're, we're in the phase of really uh, expanding the capabilities of it, et cetera. So that's kind of the high level. So it's called Web Container, the technology that lets you uh-huh. boot these Node.js tool chains inside your browser. The Angular docs have actually started using that for a lot of the Angular CLI examples. So that's kind of the high level of, of what we've done there. Yeah, now... I'm sure <laughs> as you told people you were doing this, people were looking at you going, can you really do that? I mean, <laughs> and and it seems like not that long ago, it probably may not have been possible. I'm, I'm curious what changed in the ecosystem, you know, in the browsers and standards and things like that that kind of opened the door to this. Or was it all just, hey, we have WebAssembly now, and so let's let's go for broke? Yeah, no, no, it, it, it's a really good question. It was, it was really a mix of things, right? And and. The way you phrase it is probably the nicest uh, representation of what we actually ended up hearing. You know, we talked to a lot of people that you know, work on browsers or you know uh, build sophisticated applications, mm-hmm. and we didn't really find anyone outside of the company that that was that that really believed. Kind of at least at, at that period of time when we were at the beginning of the trailhead, because it was pretty crazy. Because it really like the APIs that we use. I mean, one of them actually landed WebAssembly memory, like shared memory. That that's like uh or like WebAssembly threads. That that is a new thing that has landed. That landed, I think, like halfway through us building Web Container. You know what I mean? Right. And so it's just like a lot of stuff going on in the WebAssembly world that we rely on. Service workers are are a key part, right, of, of mm-hmm. how we make our stuff work. Lots of I mean, I think in general, like browsers uh have gotten to a point where they can run pretty 
large applications like the JavaScript engines and 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 and, and therefore the WebAssembly engines can actually handle some pretty big projects because that was actually one of the big limitations five years ago. We were having trouble just getting Webpack to run in a browser tab, mm-hmm. and I mean, and now we're running an OS and Node.js with not just Webpack, but the entire Angular CLI, which is like when you install Angular CLI, it's a couple hundred megabytes of, of mm-hmm. you know, footprint, right? We're running all that inside of a browser tab and it boots in, in milliseconds, right? So it's kind of like that's, if you kind of look at it like that, it's like browsers in general have just gotten a lot more uh, reliable and robust over the past mm-hmm. half decade. So that there's just an accumulation of things. We're like, honest, honestly, we really didn't know if this thing was going to work until we actually got it to work. Like it, it was it was kind of a bet the farm sort of situation. So we were probably more surprised than anyone else, <laughs> to be quite honest, <laughs> than it actually worked. Right, that makes sense. I guess the other thing that I just want to clarify is that a lot of people are probably thinking, okay, you know, how do you get this to work in a uh, JavaScript runtime? But it's not, it's WebAssembly and WebAssembly has a different runtime than JavaScript. And so th- that's the other thing that kind of, you're talking about writing an operating system and writing Node.js to run on it is that you weren't writing it in JavaScript. You were writing it in WebAssembly and, and that works different from what you typically think of running in the browser. Yeah, and, and, and so we actually use a good bit of uh, JavaScript to, to make this stuff work as well. And so it, and it, that's kind of, um, that's also what makes it pretty hard is that we can't do everything in WebAssembly because there's a lot of things still missing from WebAssembly that would be pretty necessary in order for us to provide the uh, performance that, because like the, the key thing for us, right, is like if people are going to use Stackblitz, if to, like as a developer myself, I'm not going to use an online development environment for darn near anything if it, right. if it takes forever to boot up. And, and when mm-hmm. I type a keystroke, there's a ton of latency, et cetera. And that's like the problem. Like online IDs are not a new idea, right? And, and the way they've worked to date is like whenever you go to Cloud9 or GitHub Codespaces or Code right. Sandbox or whatever, what's actually going on is they're spinning up a Cloud VM that mm-hmm. you, your browser is doing nothing. It's just like sending, you know, you're typing into a glorified text area, basically. It right. sends that to the server to then like do the actual work and then streams the results of that back across the internet. So the latency is brutal. Usually you have to pay money if you want a decently sized box. So even if you have the best computer on the planet that you're using this IDE with, it doesn't matter, right? Because it's it's just rendering a text area, basically. So that's kind of the, the big issue. And and so that's why we just, you know, in our view, online IDs just haven't made sense for developers. And that's why like 99% of development is local still. But uh, if you can actually have uh, something that is ridiculously fast to boot up, the same sort of experience that like Google Docs and Figma have provided, mm-hmm. right? Like you open it up, boom, you're live. You're not waiting minutes for this right. thing to, to initialize a VM or something, you know? So that was like, so anyway, so the short of it is like, you know, we, we have to, uh, we're pretty, uh, uh, we actually have to like, you know, be pretty selective about, okay, are we going to do this workload in JavaScript or in WebAssembly based on where browser engines are at with their performance profiles and those things. Right. To continue with that, I have a burning question. I think a lot, 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 lot of listener may have, have the same. It's like, uh, as you told, we are running due to the WebAssembly, it's running everything on the local machine. So how you guys are, managed to download the node module so fast <laughs> or yeah. how it is. <laughs> yeah, nice. good question. This has been, um, yeah, that's actually been one of the biggest things that Stackblitz, well, it's been kind of the continual problem that Stackblitz has had to solve actually since the beginning, right? Because you know, back in 2017, the way we solved is we wrote this package manager called Turbo, 
that effectively, like if you look at a node module's install size and, and you look at the, the amount of files that are actually being consumed during development, it's anywhere on the order of like, you know, 50% to 95% of the files and node modules are never touched. It's just dead weight, right? And so that's actually in Stackplitz v1, that was the key insight where we actually wrote custom like edge infrastructure that would allow you to effectively tree shake node modules and download them files on demand and that sort of thing. And we've reused a lot of those same concepts for Turbo v2, which is what powers our NPM client inside of Web Container, where we've like, gone to great lengths to to make sure that the install experience is ridiculously fast and uh, mounts inside the web container in seconds, right? Another one other like key thing too about that is I don't know if you all have seen this vulnerability that Sam Sconey over at Google found like five years ago. But basically like the NPM ecosystem has this like terrible worm vulnerability where using post install scripts, you can actually create a worm that will self-propagate itself through the NPM ecosystem, which is it's kind of crazy if you think about it, right? Like a post install script, whenever you download any package, any package has the ability to say, I'm going to execute arbitrary code on this person's machine. Like that's a pretty scary idea that yeah. that's like the default. Right. It's, you know, because, and this is exactly how the worm works. It's like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grab this person's NPM credentials, which I have access to, and, and you know, from the, mm-hmm. you know, their NPM config file or whatever. I'm going to see, I'm going to go to the NPM registry, see what packages they own. I'm going to pub- republish miners with a post install script, my post install script that will infect anyone who downloads this and then rinse and repeat. Right. And so Stack is actually the first environment that actually completely completely eliminates this attack surface that Sam's company discovered like five years ago, does not run post-install scripts by default, and actually yields a much faster installation experience as a result, right? So there's like a handful of innovations we've actually done that, uh, you know, we're trying to help backport into the NPM, you know, ecosystem on local as well. But yeah, so the, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of really interesting things that we've unraveled as we've focused on our performance and security for, for Web Container and Turbo. Yeah, pretty cool, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. And I, I can appreciate the the security stuff. I mean, yeah. The second you're talking about this, I'm like, I'm like cringing inside. I mean, because <laughs> yeah, I mean, the npm stuff is is one thing, but what else? What else could it be running? Right? Yeah, totally. And, and it's a huge issue, right? I mean, this is. I mean, the president of the United States has you know issued executive orders at this point, you know, in telling the public and the private sectors to harden their dev environments because mm-hmm. we have nation state global actors that are that are coming after us developers like we're we're the weakest mm-hmm. link is if you want to actually crack into a company at this point you don't try and like brute force their public web server and you know like with a xss attack or something right like that's just not it, it, that that maybe 10 years ago now the easiest way to slip stuff in is to is to get the the honest hardworking engineer at a fortune 500 company who's trying to get their job done try and trick them into downloading a package that's got God knows what in it that'll, right. you know, once it's on their machine, will rip in through their VPN secure network and go and grab a whole bunch of stuff that it shouldn't be grabbing and then pulling that out and sending it over to a different country, right? Like right. that's, that is literally how, that is what happened with solar winds. That's what's happened with all mm-hmm. these other supply chain attacks happening. So this stuff is actually, it's, it's kind of hitting a fever pitch. It's like, this stuff's pretty serious, you know? And so that's uh, Stackwitz's business, by the way, right? Is, is, is actually exactly this. Like we sell into the Fortune 500. Because they've got this really tough decision to make of, are we are we going to buy security software to fix this problem? But the, the problem with that is usually when you implement security software or whatever, or processes, you're slowing down the productivity of people because there's more right. doors they have to go through. There's more locks they have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
which then puts them at a disadvantage to stay competitive in the market. And so Stackbase is interesting in this regard because it's like increases productivity. It's way faster than Roku. You can send a link to anyone, ridiculously better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it's all it's it's far more secure than your local dev environment because it's all contained within the browser security sandbox, right? And yeah. so it's like Ben actually, it's one of the few products that I'm aware of that actually uh, allows these companies to do a step function upgrade in their security posture without actually sac- sacrificing their ability to continue to ship products at breakneck speed and, and have you know faster go to market cycles and whatever have you. But yeah, this stuff is is pretty important, you know, for probably for all developers to be thinking about at this point because it just keeps mm-hmm. the, the, the supply chain attack issues just keep accelerating. Yeah, we did a an adventures in DevOps and we talked about the exactly this around the SolarWinds breach. And funny that you bring this up, but we actually have a JavaScript Jabber episode scheduled for this afternoon with Faraz Abukadija. And we're talking about supply chain security. (laughs) So if you're listening to this, go be aware that it's probably going to come out a week or two after this one, uh, where we talked to Faraz. We're a few weeks further ahead on that show than this one. Yeah, Faraz is a smart smart guy. Faraz is a smart guy. I mean, I I actually met him 10 years ago, maybe. uh, Mm -hmm. We were living in a hacker house in Palo Alto. And this is like, man... He was running pure CDN back then, which got bought by Yahoo. But it was like, that was like WebRTC, you know, decentralized CDN with WebRTC. So yeah, for, for, uh, uh, for Ross knows what he's talking about. Yep. Well, and it, you, I mean, what you're talking about is exactly correct. I mean, that's that's where people get concerned, right? Because yeah, you put the stuff in and then it's, oh, well, I'm going to go scrape stuff out of the database or I'm going to go pull files off of the network or, you know, whatever. and yeah, you just never know who's in there or what, what they're grabbing. And if it's something that's as widely distributed as SolarWinds, I mean, you know, you're in everything. Yeah, so, yep. yeah, exactly. I want to change gears just a little bit because I think most developers that we tend not to think about the security stuff until we're confronted with, oh, crap, you know, so, somebody <laughs> somebody's in here that shouldn't be in here. And, and it sounds like this solves a lot of those issues but you know you've talked a bit about the developer experience right and it's fast and it does all these things for you but how is it different using uh, web containers from you know running node or whatever on my local machine like how am i what, what's going to feel like this different yeah i think i mean i think the main thing right is on your local machine so i, th- I think the, the, the key thing right is uh, to use stackblitz it doesn't mean that you need to get rid of your local machine at all actually right Mm-hmm. Um, like that's that's what we are seeing our users doing is is you know their local machine is it's it's there's a lot of things that won't run inside of Stackblitz and that that over time that'll change right but it, really the big difference is that there's actually a lot of times where you need to you need to pop open a repo and uh, on a certain branch and check things out and uh, or prototype something etc and so the you know, some of the most comments I've we got some things coming out over the next quarter or two here that'll, you know, put some, uh, you know, paint on the canvas of what I'm saying. But basically, you kind of imagine like how many times, right, on a day-to-day basis, are you having to uh, review coworkers' PRs? And mm-hmm. in order to do that review, you, you really need to be pulling down that code to your local machine, installing all the packages at that commit or whatever, running the, 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 the actual uh, tool chain, and then making sure everything's working, right? But that you're also develop, you're also creating your own PRs. So that means you have to like stash your changes, pull this thing down, da da da. Stuff gets messed up, 
the, the beauty of, of Stackless's model is that, you know, in one click, you can open up any branch. It'll automatically boot. You can have 10 branches open at the same time in 10 different browser tabs, right? And so it's like, you can think of it as just like a, a very, a, the fastest way to open up any repo, any branch, automatically install everything. And of course, the benefit of this is, you know, a lot of times things will get messed up on your, like completely RF node modules, reinstall, et cetera. Um, and it takes a while. And on Stackbits, if something goes wrong inside of your, your web container, you you get back to a clean state this is the same way you do with any other uh, web app. You just hit the refresh button. And because it boots so fast, right? You're talking about this thing is going to be fully fresh operating system, uh, fresh NPM installed, done within seconds, literally seconds, right? So that mm-hmm. it, it really provides, like this is really where in you know, kind of your day-to-day development life cycle Reading PRs, reviewing PRs, bug reproductions, even just like prototyping, uh, you know, new things, et cetera. These are the sorts of use cases where it, it's really a godsend because it's like you don't want to spend all this time screwing around with your local environment, trying to get it set up, trying to actually get it working, make it reproducible. You know, and, and other and companies are even using this when you go and you know start working at a at a company. You, you know, there's a, a at least a multi week, if not longer, onboarding period to just get you set up. Period. Right. And one of the big benefits of this approach mm-hmm. is that they can now it's just, hey, here's a link, sign in with our SSO, you're good to go, right? So I think kind of those are the, those are the big ways in which Stackblitz really you know, helps accelerate you know, your development cycles effectively. So does your in-browser editor now use web containers? It does, by yeah. Default? So I think over time, we're going to be switching everything over to uh, web. It's like for things that like, if you want to have, our V1 technology is still really good for like, hi, I've got a, a component that I want to like embed on my docs page and it's really lightweight. Mm-hmm. I don't need the whole Angular CLI. That's like, it's going to, we're, we're going to, it's, it's going to be kind of the equivalent of like what gists are to get our repos. But mm-hmm. uh, we're already seeing, you know, the, the uptake of WebCadere is the growth is, is going to quickly exceed that of all of our kind of V1 stuff. Other simultaneous ADTs also possible here, like if even the same brands, if uh, two two developer want to pair program, can they do simultaneous? Yeah, not yet, and that's might have some stuff to share on that soon. <laughs> but but yeah, absolutely, right. I think that's like you know, I think that there it's a really um, when when you can actually spawn environments out of thin air that are living in a browser. Kind of think about it like the experience of writing a Google Doc with someone, you know, like what what if you could do PR reviews in the same way that you suggest changes on a Google Doc or, you know, are in real time collaborating, you know, like that stuff becomes not just possible, but, but entirely, it it just more of a matter of time. Right. So. Yes. yes. Like that will solve a pretty big issue of pair programming. Like, you know, need not need to go and check. It's only to sync and boom. Right. Well, you write it. Sync. Totally. What are you seeing? Well, here's the link. Let's look at it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. I love it. So if this is something that I want to go play with, I mean, where where can I go? Where do I go? Yeah, I, you can just go to stackbus.com. You don't even have to sign in because it, you know, we it's only using your browser's compute. So our server bill. You know, doesn't really get impacted. You got a couple million devs a month using the thing, so you can just you know click on uh, Angular CLI project or any other type of project. If you're working in an enterprise company, we actually have a version that will run on prem. Um, so you can actually, I think it's like stackbits.com/slash/enterprise, something like that. Yeah, you can check it out over on our website. Mm-hmm. Nice. I guess the other question that I have is, you said operating system and then Node running on top of it. 
So what else can I run on it? <laughs> That's anything you can install from NPM for the most part, basically. And I think, so we actually, so this is, this is news that we're going to be announcing in a couple of weeks, actually, which maybe this will line up with when the podcast is coming out. But if not, this is, you, you heard it here first, maybe. But we actually uh, just became a part of the Bytecode Alliance, which is this consortium of companies that are building out the future of computing with WebAssembly. So it's like uh, uh, Microsoft, Google, Fastly, Mozilla, Amazon, et cetera. Stack was became the newest member. And these are the folks that have uh, built WASI, the WebAssembly system interface, um, and a handful of other tooling in the WebAssembly ecosystem. And this is an exciting partnership uh, for us, and I think for them, but, but certainly for us, because this is, this is going to accelerate our ability to bring all languages and runtimes to WebContainer and bring WebContainer to you know, all platforms, devices, browsers, etc. So there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of cool stuff that is going to be happening over this quarter and next as a result of the, the partnerships that we're having with these different companies now. So there's going to be a lot more things that you'll be able to do inside Web Container, a lot more places you'll be able to run Web Container over the course of this year. Nice. I'm just imagining other languages that whether they are translated over to WebAssembly or written in a way such that they can take advantage of some of the libraries that you've written for your in-browser operating system. I mean, it, it seems like this opens the door to a whole lot more things than just, hey, you can do Node and JavaScript. Definitely, right? definitely. And I think, absolutely. And I think we're kind of looking at, at WASI as, as the big thing. And so one of the things that we're excited to help with on the WASI front is that Stackwitz is really the first product the first technology that's been, been able to build a, a parity experience with how local environments work inside of browsers using WebAssembly. There's been a lot of attempts to do this over the past you know, decade. And you, know, you can run Linux in the browser tab and that sort of thing, but they're really slow. They lack lots of things that require for you to do, be able to actually run stuff. And Stackwitz doesn't have those problems. And so we're actually taking a lot of the knowledge that we've built up and working with the, the folks who uh, at the Bytecode Alliance who are working on WASI and, and helping guide you know, their decision-making process of various APIs and whatever have you, just from our experience. I mean, and by the way, these people are brilliant, right? Like, so we're just, we're, we are very much standing mm-hmm. on the shoulders of, of giants, which is them. Like, and, but we're, you know, the, the, the one unique thing about Stack, which is that, uh, uh, one of the, the unique things is that we do have this really practical experience that, that no one else has, has been able to really achieve yet. And uh, so I think that we're pretty bullish on uh, how WASI is going to end up evolving. And already, I mean, in the past month, like Ruby is uh, now has official support for compiling to, to WASI. Python's main branch is actually compiling to WASI at this point. So I think that over the coming years here, we're going to see a lot of new stuff, exciting stuff happening, you know, as far as other languages becoming runnable on the web. Right. Hey, folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, I, I have to complain. I mean, when I started in tech like 20 years ago, one of the first things they taught me was to use tail and grep to find the problem on a server. And uh, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, I have to say Raygun kind of solves that problem for me and picks up all the stuff that really is relevant to the request or whatever that came in. Um, I'm curious, do you find that with kind of the oldsters like me, a common thing or... I think there's definitely better approaches to solving some of these problems now. You know, I I always used to think of logging. I heard this great analogy once. It was like, you know, logging tools are like coffins. Things go in there. They very rarely come out, you know. Um, 
and you feel safe because it's there, but there's so much noise. Understanding what's mm-hmm. important and what's not takes a lot of effort. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, often I talk about Raygun's crash reporting product as being like a black box flight recorder. Like, just tell me when the plane blows up because I need to fix that really urgently, <laughs> you know, um, and that's been hugely valuable. And you don't need to tail that. That's true. You know, folks, you should just go get Raygun and then you can see when stuff breaks, what matters. You can get it at raygun.com. They actually are doing a free trial, so go check it out. The other thing that I'm wondering about along with this is we're seeing, I can't remember the exact term for it, but where your browser can connect to, I mean, I'm doing it right now, right? It's connected to our physical devices, right? So that it can pick up the microphone, pick up the headphones, you know, maybe connect to a Bluetooth device, things like that. And so I'm curious, uh, do web containers allow kind of the same kinds of things? Yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be possible, right? Like this is, okay, I'll crack a little bit. I'll crack a little bit on like some of the exciting stuff. But like you're coming to like think about like real-time collaboration, right? And it's funny because this is actually what, you know, this is kind of a play on what Feroz was doing with Pure CDN back 10 years ago. But when you actually can run a, a, a container inside of a browser securely, right? And you have WebRTC and ways to do peer-to-peer networking. If you're able to design the operating system from scratch, you can actually do some interesting things where instead of, you know, like when you use code space or something like that, there's one VM and, and the more people mm-hmm. you add, the experience gets worse, right? Because the VM gets overloaded, okay. you have like 10 people running on this, you know, four gig of RAM mm-hmm. sort of box or something, right? But if every person connecting to this real-time session is actually bringing their own compute, you can actually be running you're adding compute every person that joins, assuming you have a, a OS right. that's designed to be decentralized and et cetera. And so that's actually mm-hmm. kind of like, that's we think that's going to be a pretty interesting implication because when you actually collaborate with people, if someone's got NVIDIA cards you know, on their machine, you'll be able to kick over graphics intensive workloads to their machine, have their computer actually do the work, mm, et cetera, right? Without you even having to think about it. Because browsers give you right. access to, you know, web GPU and stuff like that at this point. So if you're running TensorFlow mm-hmm. in a web container, whoever's got the fastest GPU, it'll get kicked over, that sort of thing, right? So that's like, you know, I think there's a lot of possibilities like that that come into play with this sort of primitive. And, and we're, we're just barely like scratching the surface on this stuff at this point. So I think that this is going to be a crazy year because right. a lot of this stuff is starting to, to come together. God, I, I'm, I'm like, cracking the lid on all the cool stuff that our marketing <laughs> but, but yeah but like there's there's some pretty nuts stuff that uh that's gonna become possible because of this that makes sense i guess the other thing that i'm curious about is and this is something we've been hearing a bit about lately is some of the limitations or security openings that exist like on the iphone and safari and stuff right and so i'm wondering you know, insofar as we're talking about these capabilities and security implications and things like these, I'm assuming most of these apply to the desktop. How do they apply on mobile? Like, can you do all the same things? Do you have any issues there? Yeah, I think, well, with, so there, there's actually kind of a larger issue going on, like Stackblitz uh, and like WebCare relies heavily on shared array buffers. And the story around that is still not good. Like they got disabled in 2018 or 2019 after the Spectre meltdown stuff. And they slowly started coming back to browsers, but it's very, the, the way in which you have to enable them is, is prohibitively restrictive. And so Chrome has mm-hmm. rolled out this way of bringing it back called Credentialist, which is, in our view, the right way to do it. Firefox is working on implementing the same. 
who knows about Safari. But within within the year, I we're expecting to have all browsers supported equally, and even on mobile devices, you know, the stuff this stuff will work. I mean, assuming you've got enough RAM to run whatever toolchain you're looking at, you know, it'll actually right. be able to, to to run on an iPad and that sort of thing. I think it's also taking the help of uh, the PWA and the service server as well, right? So is it like uh, Stackbridge is uh, can be converted to a PWA and save in the my Mac or my Windows machine? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and so that's actually like today you can actually do that where you install Stackbridge as a PWA. And and so, yeah, I think with the, with the stuff we're landing this year, it's going to be pretty crazy, right? Because you can actually install this, our app, you know, Stackbridge as a PWA. It, with the Chrome file system API, you can actually re- have read and write access to files on your computer, right? And so you can actually use Stackbits as a desktop-grade editor in replacement of VS Code or WebStorm or whatever have you, right? So that's like, I think that, that that's kind of our our North Star that we're shooting for is, you know, there at some point, it should just be the easiest, fastest way for you to just do your job, whether that's on your local machine with the you know, file systems on your machine, or it's just opening up GitHub repos without even having to clone it to your local file system, et cetera. But yeah, but yeah, like, you know, being able to have all of your key bindings too, like that's a huge thing, right? Command W, Command T, that sort of stuff. When you're an installed desktop PWA, you act, we can actually capture those. So all that stuff just works just like a, a, a native app, which is a huge, huge draw. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, I think... Uh... Slowly, slowly, it can replace the VS Code, and some sometimes I feel VS Code is taking a lot of CPU mm-hmm. than it's required. It's spinning up my fan, or oh, that can also solve. Yeah, definitely, definitely, especially because like this is a, one of the the big things that like be doing it all in the browser saves a lot of overhead because I mean if you think about your local uh, when you build stuff today locally you're actually running multiple copies of like Chrome and V8 at the same time to do to do your job. Because like with VS Code, mm-hmm. that's Electron, which is Chrome plus Node.js, right? Yeah. So that's already one copy mm-hmm. of V8 there. On local, every node process has its own copy of V8 that it's being upside. We're talking, you know, a dozen of those threads potentially, right? And then you have, you're previewing your web app in Chrome itself, which has its own copy of V8. So you actually have like dozens of copies of V8 that are you know, all running and not able to actually share any data or memory seamlessly with each other. And so with Stackbits, though, with Web Container, it actually collapses that all down to a single V8 instance because all of this is running on top of the browser's V8 engine. There's no additional copies that are being spun up for both the VS Code editor, for right. the preview of your web app, for all of the Node.js processes. There's one copy of V8. And that's actually why it's 20% faster to run workloads inside of Stackbits instead of your local machine because we cut out an incredible amount of overhead in the compute process uh, that you have to pay when you're on local, right? So it's just a, from a technical perspective, it's a, uh, a much more uh, sane and elegant architecture than how things currently work. Well, what if a browser doesn't run V8? So I'm thinking like, I think Safari runs JavaScript you're, core. Yeah, you're right. So, so that's, I mean, that's the kind of the beauty of, of how we built Web Container is that it's, it's just built on web standards. So this is going to be the, God, I'm just cracking all the things. You know, this is going to be the first time that Node.js has ever run fully on top of Spider-Man or on top of, on top of JavaScript core. Like that's, is, mm-hmm. that's you know, both Mozilla and uh, uh, Microsoft had right. projects to bring, uh, to, to swap Node to their engines, uh, Chakra and, and uh, Spider-Monkey respectively. Mm-hmm. Both of them got mothballed. And Web Containers actually, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to be announcing Firefox at least. Um, is is gonna is running on the stuff in an alpha state, but, but yeah, basically, you know, it's that's that's uh, 
that's actually, in our view, kind of a huge feature of this is that this is allowing you know, Node.js to become in- engine agnostic for the first time ever. Right. Also related to running Node in the browser, it did occur to me that you, so let's say you have like an Express backend or something like that on your app, right? Um, I could see something like this. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit talking about server-side rendering and stuff like that. But I could see that beginning to replace your backend, right? And so you it, it wouldn't entirely replace it, right? Because you may have some central data store or something like that. But we're even seeing some of the Web3 stuff start to distribute data store and doing some encryption on a blockchain and things like that, which might get interesting. But I don't want to go. I don't want to go too far pie in the sky, but I'm curious, right? Do you see this as an option for people instead of saying, "Okay, you're going to distribute the front end stuff that connects to this central backend"? Now, you know, you have a really, really slim central backend of some kind, you know, or a distributed data store, and you distribute the entire app. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so, right? And I think I mean we're seeing a lot of this too. With uh, if you look at like Cloudflare workers, right? Like it's kind of the same idea where they they have you know it's based on the Service Worker API, but they have their own uh, proprietary database, effectively called Durable Objects, and you know all that is deployed in lockstep, like how you're modifying and persisting and reading from these objects and that sort of thing. So I, I think absolutely right, and even today, you know, kind of the handoff we see today is like. People on Stackbits, if they deploy into Cloudflare, they can actually run the entire Cloudflare CLI and like actually use durable objects mm-hmm. in development. We, we also support uh, SQLite in Web Container. And so you can actually have like you know, people that use ORMs, if they're using Postgres or something, they'll actually do development in Stackbits. SQLite is acting as the data store instead of Postgres on, in development. And then when they actually deploy their code to Amazon or whatever, it uses Postgres in production. I think mm-hmm. the the longer term thing we're looking at is actually exactly what you said is what if you could actually use web container as a primitive for deploying applications kind of holistically. And that's that's something we're pretty interested in because it's you know the whole Cloudflare workers model is being able to use V8, you know, job the Chrome's you know JavaScript engine allows them to have massive multi-tenancy mm-hmm. in a really secure way. And uh, but what it really lacks is the ability to do Node.js and operating system level stuff because browsers don't support that, right? So what what does it mean if you can actually run an operating system on top of V8? You know, it means maybe maybe it means you can have faster, more secure deployments that that don't require you to actually change your code meaningfully. So that's that's it's something that's pretty that we're pretty interested in. We're actually we're beginning to do some R and D on. Yeah. And just taking it another step further, I mean, we got some, I mean, granted, they're kind of old and well-used Chromebooks from one of my kids' schools, right? They were upgrading their fleet of Chromebooks. And so we bought some of the used ones and, you know, they use it for school and stuff, but that's mostly browser-based technology. And so I'm imagining there too, right? Where this opens up a whole different class of apps that I can, I can run there and I don't need the heavy storage, etc. on on my computer, right? Because it's, it's all mostly cloud and yeah, web based. Exactly. Exactly. And that's I, I've actually been using a Chromebook for my daily driver at this point, because as a I mean, I, admittedly, as, as a CEO of a growing company, my job is less and less coding. But but when I do do coding, it's it's right. like, 
uh, yeah, like why would I want to manage like, you know, what, my dev environments always go stale after a couple of days because, you know, we ship fast or whatever. Right? So it's like being able to click a link and have it be fresh every single time where I know it's not going to be, I'm not going to be like hitting some random issue because stuff is old or whatever. You know, it's, it's a huge game changer. And that's, that's the other thing too, right? Is like, we're actually going to be releasing an API for Web2 that lets other people integrate it into their own apps and that sort of thing. Because you can kind of think of it like, you know, again, Electron is just Chrome and Node.js in, in one binary. You know, mm-hmm. if you can run Node.js inside of Chrome itself natively, right, you effectively right. have like a, an Electron polyfill. And, and so that's actually, we, we kind of mm-hmm. we envision that there's going to be some very sophisticated applications and experiences that are going to be able to pop out of actually having an API surface that lets you do Node.js APIs and operating system access virtualized you know, inside of a browser tab. And you know, so people using Chromebooks can have the same sort of experience that I'm drop two brand on a, you know, a new MacBook or whatever. Yep. So will it uh, going to support TypeScript as well? Like uh, going with Nest or something? I'd like to in the pipeline uh it's supporting uh typescript with nest.js yeah I, I think it, i think it's supported today actually <laughs> i think you can actually you can just go to stackblitz okay. and spin up a new nest.js project off the bat and that's that again that's the beautiful thing about it is that you know you can open up your own repos that you already have you can start stuff from scratch like nest in it or whatever the command is i actually don't know but, but yeah, you can actually, you can install any version of TypeScript, you can install any version of Nest.js, and you can actually run that server entirely inside your browser. And that, by the way, that, I don't know if I mentioned that, but that, like, that's where service workers come in, right? It's like, we've actually mapped the, the Node.js uh, server API, I mean, through a, a, TCP, a virtualized TCP networking stack to your browser's service mm-hmm. worker API. So you're, when you're actually running a server, it, it is entirely being served inside of your browser, not on some like remote server it's so secure, right? Like you can't even go to a local terminal on your computer and curl that URL where you're seeing, you know, that that app because it's contained in the browser security sandbox. You can't open it in another browser, right? So it's actually like a ridiculous uh, upgrade security from from that uh, perspective. But but that it, and you have less latency than localhost, which is kind of a wacky idea. Mm-hmm. How can you have less latency than localhost? You know, but if you don't actually have to, you know, actually punch out right. Your, operating your computer's operating systems networking stack it's actually you actually shave off a good number of milliseconds right you're telling me that i can't sniff the traffic with exactly exactly yeah and and, i mean you know there's actually a legitimate attack surface that uh attackers have used for enterprise companies is during your development cycles Mm -hmm. if you're running dev servers you're going to have data in them and and they may have credentials they may have information that you wouldn't want you to to be leaked right Right. And so these things will install on your computer or be sniffing your traffic will actually capture that and then, you know, pull that stuff out of your network. Right. And so with this, it limits that, mm-hmm. you know, tremendously. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool. Like, uh, I think this can be the in future people may have used like how the mo- mobile phone is growing up, <laughs> like the RAMs and the GPU is also embedding in the mobile. You can uh, use at least if you are in a in a way to somewhere. You remember something to implement you can implement on the go itself totally like it yeah i'm yeah. just uh, thinking about the possibility of easy deployment <laughs> one thing that i'm thinking about too so you called it web containers that makes me think of yeah. docker right and i get that the engine isn't the same but one thing that's really convenient about docker and you've basically told us that that you can do this right you can copy another container and, and kind of build from there 
So how does that work? Is there like a web container hub or a stack blitz hub, kind of like Docker hub, where I can go and I can say, okay, well, like Subrat was saying, you know, Nest.js. Well, I want to, I want to go spin up Nest.js and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And instead of going through and getting a fresh container and NPM installing everything, it just kind of is already set up and ready to go. Yeah. So today it's actually really just, you know, there's no additional configuration needed. You can just really crack open any repo and it'll pull it in. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, one of the things we're landing this quarter is like, it'll actually, uh, based on the engine field and your package JSON, it'll pop in the right node version, automatically install everything, et cetera. So it's actually, it's even like lighter weight in that sense where, you know, you can just crack open a repo and it'll, it'll be able to install the appropriate runtime packages, et cetera. Once we get into multi-language, we, you know, there, there, we may have to revisit kind of, uh, how you, if, if we need to do layered images and things like that. But, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's how, how it, it works today, which from a user experience perspective is, is so nice, right? Cause it's like, you can just, you don't even have to think about it. And I think that's ideally right. Like how it should work is like, I don't, I don't really care about making a container. <laughs> like I care about writing code. Right. And so being able to just like open up a repo and just it, this thing, quote unquote, just works is, you know, the more we can stick to that, we're like, mm-hmm. absolutely. Right. Like just one last thing that, that devs need to worry about. Uh, same thing with security. It's like all of our security enhancements are not things where it's like, Hey, you know, like with Dino, right. It's like, Hey, Everything is restricted mm-hmm. unless you opt in. Okay, well, I need file system access. I need a terminal access. I need, yeah, and then it's like, what's the point if you, if you end up putting on those flags? Right. No one's ever going to have the secure stuff anyways. Whereas with Stack, if we saw this in a completely mm-hmm. transparent way, is you have access to everything. Everything is virtualized, though, so it can't break out. But th- that's not even something that people who right. use us even think about. You know, they're just like, oh, here's a IDE, right? And I, I think that's, you know, it's like, how can we just remove, remove cognitive load? To your point, uh, you said uh, earlier in the, the, the podcast, Charles, is like people like don't when I when I'm developing software, I'm not thinking about security, right? Like I'm thinking about building this thing, right? And uh, so it, fitting into that cognitive model is pretty important. It's like security should be something that's just secure by default, right? Like I shouldn't have to think about that. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so kind of across the board, even when it comes to configuration, it's like, yeah, like that another thing shouldn't have to think about that, you know, just how can I, you know, how can I just be able to focus on the code again, make it run as fast as possible and get that. How can I have the fastest feedback loop of putting my idea into, into the keyboard through my fingertips and get a result back? Like that's, that's really our entire product right. uh, focus and philosophy. Yeah. I kind of dig the idea too, of having like a, like if I'm starting a new project, it's an Angular starter yep. repo, right? So I just grab it, fork it, and I'm off to the races, right? So then it, in its package JSON or whatever, right? It just does what it's supposed to do from there, right? And so then if I need to update the the base set of things that I pull in, then I can just do that in there. And then when I pull things over, you know, stuff gets updated and yep. it all kind of just exactly. works. Exactly. Hey. I can request like for a future update as a, as a user of that piece, like uh, while starting Angular project, right? If you can give an option to add, do you want to add a, a router or not? <laughs> It'll be pretty quick. Yeah. Add a, yeah it's, a, a, oh, a route in the Angular CLI JSON, you mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, I think, well, if you're, are you, do you want like a, a, a UI button to do that? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it back to the team. Like one thing, we're gonna have like uh, the ability to write custom extensions pretty soon. So like mm-hmm. that'll be. I think either Archie or even you could actually write an extension that would do that. But I, I could imagine that that's probably a huge, huge pain point. 
<laughs> having to <laughs> manually add that to the, the CLI JSON. Yeah. So that you, you kind of opened another can of worms for me. I was about to wrap <laughs> up, but you said you said you can write extensions to the to this. So, yeah, so uh, how does that um, work? We are pretty soon we're gonna be rolling out a new version of the editor that runs on top of VS Code itself, actually. And so it's like full on VS Code, like okay. the same thing that you run in Electron. Because again, we've got basically an Electron polyfill, which means we can run mm-hmm. Electron apps in the browser, right? And so what our teams are working on is actually, they've taken VS Code, dropped it on top of Web Container, and made it a lot simpler and faster and better in a lot of ways. And uh, so we're actually going to have a extension, the ability to write extensions, how, how kind of more, more to come on exactly how people will be able to publish their own, that sort of thing. But but most VS Code extensions out there actually like quote unquote just works. So you'll be able to have like all of the same settings, all the same mm-hmm. extensions, et cetera, that you do on local. And then we can even, because we're so focused on, uh, you know, the in-browser web development experience, we can kind of even go beyond what has existed today, even in the VS Code ecosystem. And oh yeah, and, and, and there's actually, coming back security, there's a huge issue with VS Code's uh, security model that came out back in May. It basically affects mm-hmm. the same problem that uh, that I was describing with the, the NPM right. one, where VS Code extensions have full access to your entire machine. And Microsoft has not been able to really fix this in a zero trust way, but this is actually going to solve that. So it eliminates a lot of stuff developers had to right. do that Microsoft tried to get everyone to flip over to, et cetera. So, so the, I think the extension API we're going to end up landing on is going to be pretty pretty amazing. Um, you'll be able to create some pretty cool experiences um, you have to run on top of Stackfolds. Nice. Lots of stuff. Well, I'm excited to see what all comes out next. <laughs> Me too. Me too. And the team's going, gosh darn it. All right, now we now we gotta <laughs> now now we gotta deliver. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But they're doing a great job. They're doing like a, a really phenomenal job. So pretty uh I, I'm beyond excited for what we got coming out in the next quarter or two. So stay tuned to our Twitter, Stacklets, etc. It'll be it's gonna be a fun one. Good deal. Were you trying to say something, Subra? Yeah, what I was saying is uh I think one year or two years back. I was just using Stackblaze and I haven't used uh, that much, but I have a YouTube channel. So in a lot, lot of people commented me back that why you are doing in local, just use Stackblaze so that we don't need to reinstall it again, rerun it again. <laughs> and so it's kind of uh, mm-hmm. everywhere. So uh, people want quick things. They can see what I'm doing. I'm just doing kind of a tutorial thing. So they don't need to run it, install it. Again, it's taking their space. They need to down. Like if, if you have a smaller space, node module is like pretty huge, 200, 300 MB for each and every project. That saves a lot of uh, space. And that's that's why I just want to thank you. <laughs> totally. So it's so awesome to hear. Like, I think, yeah, our, everyone on our team works insanely hard to like make that possible. And so it's like, it means a lot, you know, to, to hear that from you. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's it's a lot of work, you know, more than meets the eye to make it happen. So, yeah, I think that's, yep, absolutely. Yeah, that things look simpler to a, a user. It's uh, pretty hard for a developer. Yeah, that's my personal. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so true. Mm-hmm. It's so true. <laughs> like you could do two clicks. I know, right? As a freelancer, I just want it to do. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to push this in, into picks and start wrapping up the show. Before we do that, Eric, where if people want to find you on the internet, where do they find uh, well, you? Well, you can find Stackblitz at stackblitz.com or on Twitter at Stackblitz. And then, and then me personally, my, my Twitter handle is just uh, Eric Simons40. You can go there. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's, that's probably about the main place you'd find me when I am kind of cruising, cruising the interweb. Good deal. 
going to wear an astronaut costume to any more conferences <laughs> once, once anytime soon. Things over, absolutely, man. We're, we're not over, but you know, resolved enough. But yeah, we we we, we may run in a conference or two of ourselves in the, in the near future here. So stay tuned. <laughs> Good deal. If you need any help with that, absolutely. let me know. All right. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Well, let's go ahead and head to picks. Subrat, do you have some stuff you want to shout out about picks? So recently I'm reading this book, like You Don't Know JS Yet. I think it's a famous book, You Don't Know JS. It's a second mm-hmm. version of that. Two books are released. So I'm just uh, reading the first one, getting started. So please go and have a look. It's pretty, pretty good one. I think they have also started a Kickstarter. I think it's already finished to finish all the rest of the books. So it'll be, it'll be awesome when every, every version is released. Yeah, those are excellent books. Kyle and I actually did a challenge around that last, was it last year or two years ago? where people could come in and we walked them through basically the first book mm-hmm. with videos, podcast, uh, like a private podcast and Q and A's every week for four weeks. I had to do that again. That, that was <laughs> awesome. Anyway, but yeah, they're terrific books and they really do break things down in a very approachable way. Yeah. Like some concepts are pretty weird. Like if you don't have to think about this, like how are you thinking and do a JavaScript and that's pretty good. How he explains. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. He does. He explains it really well. Did you have any other picks that I cut you off? Yeah, that's the only pick for this. Year. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to do some picks then. So I typically do a board game pick of some kind. And so I'm going to do a pick. The game is called Wavelength. So the I, it's kind of a party game, which really aren't games that I tend to enjoy. But <laughs> we, so my my wife's cousins came over and her sister came over. And so we were playing this game and the way that it works is they have this kind of this giant dial and you spin it and you have kind of this shutter that closes in front of it. And so then whoever's giving the clue opens it up to see where on the spectrum the you're, you're trying to get people to guess. And so you kind of have all the way to the left is one and all the way to the right is the other. And what it does is it essentially... You'll have something, I think one of them was like vapes and doesn't vape, right? And so then, you know, you're trying to get them to guess, you know, let's say it's two thirds of the way over. You you don't want to pick like, I don't know, teenagers or whatever that might be all the way to the right. And you may not want to pick 90 year olds who are all the way to the left, right? Who aren't likely to vape. And so you're trying to get, you know, somewhere in that, that sweet spot. And so you're trying to give a clue that gets people to guess. And then the other team, once your team has guessed theirs, they get to say, well, I think it's to the left or the right of that. And uh, anyway, that particular one, uh, vapes and doesn't vapes, my wife's cousins looked at us and just started laughing because I guess both of their parents vape on a regular basis. (laughs) And, you know, so we're just talking back and forth about these uh, 
60 somethings that uh, go go get their cartridges. And <laughs> anyway, it was really, really funny the way that it all went. And so, you know, if you're kind of in a place where you like playing those games where you kind of have the, the joke around and conversational stuff, then uh, Wavelength is kind of a fun one. And then I'm just going to shout out about some of the other stuff we've got going on. So I am putting out some premium content on Top End Devs. You can just go sign up for an account at topendevs.com. And the the series that I'm working on right now are the career building series. I'm looking at doing a VS Code series. I need to kind of finalize some details around that. If you want to be an author, go to topendevs.com slash author. And then I'm also doing coaching. So if you're looking for somebody to help you do a podcast or build your career reputation some way, stuff there too. And then finally, <laughs> I'm getting ready to announce JS Remote Conf. So we're going to start doing the remote conferences again. I'm also going to be doing meetups starting in March. So keep an eye out for those uh, around JavaScript, Ruby and Angular and DevOps are the ones that I'm starting in March for those. So just to give you an idea of how this is going to go on all of these events, you know, we're going to have people come in, they're going to do speaking talks, things like that. The workshops work in kind of the same way. And then afterward, I'm using airmeet.com and they actually have tables where you can sit and have conversations. And so you can mingle afterward and go find a conversation you want to be a part of and get to know people. And when I've talked to people, people are really, really missing this, right? And they're like, well, they they do the Zoom meetup, but when the talk is over, they just turn it off. And, you know, I'm really looking to help people connect with folks. That's one of the, the six core uh, practices of top-end devs is meeting people on, on a weekly basis. And so I really want to open that gate for folks. And so uh, go to topenddevs.com slash events, and that'll show you all of the summits, meetups, and workshops that we've got coming up. And uh, yeah, those are my picks. I know a lot of that was self-serving, but there you go. Eric, what are your picks? Um, yeah, good question. I thought you were good. those were good picks, though. Let's see. I think I think my, my main pick would be for Veet. I think Beat is pretty pretty nice. Their team is crazy. Yeah, cool and, stuff. Yeah, I mean they their their latest release they they chopped off seventy five percent of the the payload size of you know npm installing Beat. It's like a couple of megabytes now. It's, yeah, it's pretty nuts. No yeah, way. I, I, I don't know how they do it, but I want. I'm like I want to see a blog post of that. So, but I mean the Beat is pretty pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. We partner with them a lot and are big supporters. And uh, but but they're they're taking over web development. I mean they're they're pretty phenomenal uh, experience like instant booting crazy fast. I mean, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the view ecosystem and Nuxt and Shopify's hydrogen and Astro, like all these people are based on, on beat now. So, um, you know, I think, I think they're doing a really good job and, and it's cool to see like open collaboration happening in the web ecosystem. Cause you know, there's a lot of, uh, other projects that are, that kind of silo themselves and aren't very collaborative. And so it's cool to see open source continuing to exist and doing its thing, you know? So I think beats, beats awesome and everyone should check it out. It's good. Yeah, it's really cool. We've done a few episodes on that too. I don't, I think we have covered it on JavaScript Jabber, but I know for a fact we've covered it on Views on View and Ruby Rogues. So. Yeah, and I know there's actually work on uh, some people are trying to bring Beat to the Angular CLI because it would make development pretty, pretty speedy. So that's, that's something yeah. that we're actually trying to help connect the dots on, you know, so that, uh, that that'd be, I think that'd be huge for Angular. And I know uh, Igor had, had, brought it up uh, previously and there's been some POCs as of late that have come out. So yeah, that I would that would be a huge thing for the developer experience of, of using the Angular CLI. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's so fast and 
so easy to kind of wrap your head around. That was one of the big issues I had with Webpack. I mean, it worked, but it was just wrapping your head around, okay, what's it doing here? I mean, why? how do I config it to, it, it was like, what's the incantation <laughs> for this? Yeah, exactly. Vite is a lot simpler. I mean, it, it's not to say that it's completely yeah. intuitive, but it's much more totally, intuitive. Totally. So cool. Well, thanks, Eric. This was really cool. And hopefully folks go check out stackblitz.com and see what you've got going with the web containers. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. Till next time, folks. Max out. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.